African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. It's our first show for the month of March. We're already in March 2015. Wow, this year is speedingly moving on. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we'll be focusing on the progress being made on the migration from analog to digital broadcasting services on the continent. We're speaking about that particular development in different countries and see where we are in Africa. But before that, let's get our news from Anwusa. In the headlines, Sada Collection Observer Mission for Lesotho declares Saturday's elections free, fair and credible. Egypt indefinitely postpones the country's parliamentary polls and RCC prosecutor calls for the Ugandan Lord's Resistance Army rebel chief to surrender. Good morning. The Sadek Election Observer Mission for Lesotho says Saturday's elections were free, fair and credible. Head of Mission and South Africa's International Relations Minister, Maite Nkwana Mashibane, says Sadek implores stakeholders to accept the outcome or challenge it within the provisions of the country's laws. Nkwana Mashibane says an advanced team found that the environment was conducive for holding elections, but the security had to be monitored. She says the Observer mission recommends constitutional reforms to ensure stability. Earlier results indicated Lesotho's Prime Minister Tom Tabane's All-Basotho Convention is leading early results with 35 out of the 80 constituencies. Deputy Prime Minister Mutuja Singh has so far only managed to get two constituencies. However, many people are worried that despite the elections, the country will still have political strife. Democracy, education and election specialist at the Resource Transformation Center, Tekwane Pashwane. We need to have more assistance from SADC, technical assistance, and assistance that will keep things calm, particularly if there are incidences where people don't accept election results. So I think we'll need that. Beyond that, it is also very important for, for us not to start to create opportunities for dialogue. The dialogue that will address the sources of conflict that we had and the sources of COVID that has led us to these particular elections. 
Egypt has indefinitely postponed the country's parliamentary polls. This after the Supreme Constitutional Court struck down as unconstitutional one of the laws that regulate the electoral process. The poll was scheduled for the 21st of this month. Meanwhile, Egypt's President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who also holds legislative powers until an elected parliament formally convenes, issued a statement urging his cabinet to amend the law within a month. According to a report, the petitioners against the constitutionality of the law says it violates the principle of fair proportional representation for all voters. The International Criminal Court Chief Prosecutor Fatal Ben Suda has called on the Ugandan Lord's Resistance Army Rebel Chief Joseph Kony to surrender. Ben Suda has vowed Kony would receive a fair trial just as his deputy faces. Senior rebel leader Dominic Ogwin appeared before the ICC in The Hague for the first time in January. He's been charged with war crimes and crimes against humanity. Ben Suda called for the surrender of Kony, the last LRA rebel indicted by the ICC, believed to be still at large. She was on a visit to Uganda to update people on Ogwen's case, including renewing contacts with possible witnesses. And finally, an operation to combat the surge in crime in Central African Republic's capital, Bangui, is underway. United Nations mission in the country, MINUSCA, is helping national security forces patrol the city and put in place checkpoints. The focus is currently on Boirabe and Gabongo, former strongholds of the armed Christian anti-Balaka militia, but operations will expand to other neighborhoods as well. Recapping the top stories, Sadak Election Observer Mission for Lesotho declares Saturday's elections free, fair and credible. Egypt indefinitely postpones the country's parliamentary polls. And the ICC prosecutor calls for the Ugandan Lord's Resistance Army rebel chief to surrender. Thank you very much to Anne Musa. You are listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A reminder that you are listening to us on our shortwave frequency on uh, the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you as well if you're joining us online. That's on www.channelafrica.org. Now today we're looking at the progress of uh, the migration from analog to digital uh, broadcasting. We know that uh, 2015 was said to be the deadline. The International Telecommunications Union Treaty, which was signed in uh, June 2006, stipulated that by June 2015, signatories need to have migrated from analog to digital broadcasting services. It was signed in Geneva at the conclusion of the ITU's Regional Radio Communication Conference and it really signaled the development of all digital terrestrial broadcast services for sound and television. The idea is that by this year, Europe 
Africa, the Middle East and the Islamic Republic of Iran are supposed to have digitized their broadcasting. Digital broadcasting represents a more equitable, just and people-centered information society. But the question on everyone's lips is how far has the African continent gone in migrating from analog to digital broadcasting and what are the challenges and the opportunities? To help us look at this, we have two countries that are joining us on our program today and are really central to what's happening in this particular issue. We have James Mbugua, who is a communication consultant in Nairobi, Kenya, and also we have Hans Werner Matai, who is a project manager from Namibia's Broadcasting Corporation. Thank you both for joining us here on our program. Let's start with James Mbugua from Kenya. We know that uh, Kenya has been actually getting good reviews. Everyone is excited about the progress that's happening in Kenya. Tell us, where are we in Kenya with the digital migration as we speak, James? Yeah, uh, thank you, Benjamin. Uh, in, in Kenya, as we know, we've already started the digital migration um, to the end of last year. That's when the, the capital city of Nairobi was supposed uh, to switch off the analog transmission. And then this was to be uh, faced uh, in, uh, in other towns beginning um, of February. And then at the end of this month, the entire country will have switched off. So we are trying to do this ahead of the June, 15, uh, June 17th deadline. Uh, however, this process has been mired in um, litigation as uh, some of the broadcasters resist the move to um, the existing platforms for digital signal distribution. And uh, actually, as we speak, uh, three of the big um, news outlets, uh, TV stations, have, have yet to um, migrate, so to speak. So they're actually off air as they are involved in a dispute where they want to distribute their own content rather than use the existing two platforms uh, where two uh, companies have been licensed to uh, distribute digital signals. Mm. Now, James, tell us a little bit about, you've highlighted some of the challenges, but where has Kenya went right uh, before we also go back to some of the trying moments with this particular uh, transformation or this transfer? Where has uh, Kenya got it right? Um, well, we have had quite a number of challenges. Um, as I said, this uh, the was set in 2006. Um, Kenya has had a um, digital transition uh, a team that was supposed to uh, pull in uh, everybody who's involved, that is signal distributors, the broadcasters, mm. the Ministry of uh, Information. And we set at, uh, December 2012 a deadline initially, and this um, could not be met because um, the first company that was uh, licensed to uh, build uh, the infrastructure for the distribution of signals uh, was facing budgetary challenges as it's a government-owned uh, subsidiary. Mm-hmm. And therefore, a second round of, um, of uh, licensing was done uh, so as to bring on board somebody else to also uh, put up the infrastructure. And uh, this, again, was where... The Chinese company Pan African Group or Pan um, on its platform, uh, the Star Times runs, um, won the license. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a couple of media owners here had uh, put together a bid um, 
uh, the one successful. And um, they, and ever since they've been going to court and um, you know delaying the process. So we really delayed. We were supposed to migrate on um, in December 2013. Uh, that uh, did not happen. Uh, there was a court case that took a whole year to resolve. Went mm-hmm. over to the Supreme Court. And lastly, uh, December is when the Supreme Court gave the go-ahead for the um, migration to continue. Uh, mm-hmm. But as you know, um, you know the the three of the biggest media uh, uh, station, TV stations, uh, have not been willing to put their content on mm-hmm. the existing platforms, saying that those are paid platforms and they their content is free to air, so they cannot charge them. Mm. Uh, to air what is essentially uh, free to air content. Mm. So there have been quite a few challenges uh, going back and forth. Uh, the matter is now being taken to Parliament after being um, exhausted in court. Uh, MPs are going to look at it, and uh, I'm not quite sure what they'll be able to do, but mm. they actually, you know, are deliberating on the matter. Well, let me move on to Hans Werner Matai from uh, uh, the Namibia Broadcasting Corporation. Hans Werner, thank you for joining us. Uh, now, we hear there's a lot of complication in terms of Kenya. We're hearing about the main private TV stations unavailable in most of the country due to that row. And uh, we hear now from um, James saying that it's going to Parliament to find out for more processes to take place. Hans Werner, tell us about your process in Namibia of migration. Have things Things been smooth, or are you also facing the same challenges? Uh, Benjamin, we are actually quite happy here in Namibia as to the progress. Um, our target was to have uh, 60% digital population coverage by June of this year. Mm. In fact, we have already reached that target, and we will probably be well over 70% by April and even higher by June. Uh, we must consider that our total analog population coverage was only about 80% mm. in the first place. So um, so we are actually very happy with um, the migration uh, to date. Uh, we still have a number of smaller sites that need to be migrated, um, but um, the major analog transmitters will actually have already been switched off by the June target date. So um, I think compared to many other countries around us, um, we here in Namibia are actually very happy with the way it has gone. There have been challenges, Mm. but um, we are meeting them as as we go along. Mm. Now, Hans, Werner, tell us a little bit about the... uh, the lessons that you've learned since 2006 to now and how you've made that progress. And as a country, what actually um, made this whole process uh, uh, productive, if I can use the word, for the country? Um, I think in the first place, Benjamin, um, uh, we are lucky in the sense that we've had very good cooperation from all parties, um, from government, uh, from the regulator, and um, we've all been pulling in the same direction, and uh, this has certainly um, helped to to make for a very smooth migration. Uh, The challenges that we've had were, in the first place, that uh, Namibia is a very large country. We have almost 60 
analog transmitters uh, which uh, needed to be migrated. Mm. Um, then in terms of staff, um, the same staff that used to do the analog um, the maintenance and installation of analog transmitters, uh, the very same staff are also d- um, doing the whole digital migration. So that's, uh, that is the reason why it's not going mm. quite as fast as we possibly would have liked it. Um, but um, in general, um, as I said, this, this, uh, the, the insulation of the transmitters is actually going well. One of the biggest challenges for us has been actually selling the decoders. Yes, um, yes. Because um, I suppose it is human that one always tends to wait until the last moment before you uh, buy your decoder. Mm. And uh, so we had to do some very special efforts like roadshows, special marketing actions, um, a, a big publicity campaign to actually convince the people to buy the decoders. But I think we are over the critical mass now, mm. and, and people are really catching on now. We've increased the number of um, TV channels from one up to seven at present, and uh, this has also um, been an incitement for people to buy decoders. Mm. Now, let me come back to James Mgua on that particular area that Hans Werner Matai from the Namibia Broadcasting Corporation is highlighting there, sending that message to the populations, to the ordinary person on the street, especially when it comes to buying those decoders. I know in South Africa there's been some uh, complications on the set-top boxes and uh, those kind of issues. James, in terms of in Kenya, uh, how has the public or the Kenyans actually taken hold of this migration? Um, yes, uh, it's a quite an interesting point, actually. Uh, I think because have been um, um, a challenge for everybody um, uh, across Africa, uh, we do have the, the regulator here, the Communications Authority of Kenya, did um, come up with a set, uh, set standards, a set of standards uh, for um, a reception of DVBT2, uh, digital video broadcasting, um, to rescue. And we, once we established those standards, what happened was that um, uh, people were invited to bring samples which could then be type approved and they would get the permission to import them. So the concept of boxes initially the challenge was the cost. Uh, it was felt that it was too costly for the ordinary Kenyan to buy. And uh, the government had to step in and probably uh, give a few uh, tax, <coughs> tax releases, excuse me. I think on the import duty side, uh, just to make them uh, cheaper. Uh, but the assignment on uh, the boxes themselves somehow got cheaper because I think they were being bought in bulk. Um, as far as informing the public, now that has been uh, quite interesting. The regulator, again, had a program for uh, public uh, awareness and, uh, you know, all those things involving roadshows, TV ad campaigns, you know, print, and all that. Um, unfortunately, the initial uh, campaign that was set to happen um, had to stop because of the court cases that, uh, you know, the litigation that came up. Um, then once the litigation ended, the challenge that now we, mm. we faced is that the main 
uh, broadcasting houses would not carry these public information uh, messages. So they actually refused uh, to carry advertisements mm. uh, that were played either by the regulator or by multi-chains who runs the Go TV or Star Times. And they had to look for alternative uh, uh, outlets. So uh, not only that, we actually one of the interesting points where the, the regulator in Kenya was so furious and uh, decided to actually take very drastic action against the three media houses. Is that not only did they refuse to carry uh, public um, awareness information, yeah. they also chose to carry uh, coordinated uh, misinformation, the warning, um, cautioning. Uh, subscribers against buying a uh, set of boxes that had been approved by the regulator mm. and asking them to wait for them to import their own boxes, which had not been approved. And this was seen as um, a gross violation of, uh, of the rules, and the regulator really came down hard on them. Well, we'll come back to that. Certainly two different stories here from Kenya and in Namibia. On the line, helping us on just to see where Africa is. We're just using two countries as an example here to look at some of the challenges, look at the progress some countries are making on this migration from analog to digital broadcasting. We have James Mbungua, who is a communication consultant in Nairobi, and that is in Kenya. Also, we have the project manager of the Namibia Broadcasting Corporation Hans Werner Mittai. We'll continue with this particular conversation. We're hearing that there are challenges, but we also see some progress being made. And uh, hey, I'm in South Africa. There is uh, a lot of work to be done in South Africa. I don't think we've even started, but it's great to see countries like Kenya moving ahead. Yes, they've got challenges. See Namibia progressing very well. We're hearing positive uh, messages coming from Hans Werner Mittai. We'll continue with this uh, issue after this break. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Moshatama, coming to you every Monday to Thursday, where we really zoom into the pivotal topics of what affects us ordinary people on our beautiful continent. And uh, the time right now is uh, 11.22, that's Central African time. And uh, today we're looking at the migration from analog to digital broadcasting services on the continent. And uh, this is a big discussion that's underway as well. I live in South Africa. 
Africa. And uh, there's been a lot of conversations about how uh, South Africa may not even reach the deadline of 2015. And just recently, a statement by the Minister of Telecommunications and uh, Postal Services, Dr. Siabong Akwele, on the designation of Telcom as the lead entity to spearhead the rollout of broadcast. And I was thinking to myself, how will that uh, complicate or actually uh, postpone our uh, meeting the deadline uh, that is supposed to be in 2015 in a few months, and that's in June. And today we're speaking to some uh, countries that have made some developments, but also they have uh, shown us that, hey, this can be a challenging process. We've got James Mugua from Kenya. He's a communication consultant based in Nairobi. We also have Hans Werner Matai, who's a project manager at the Namibia Broadcasting Corporation. Now, in terms of looking at uh, the difference in terms of uh, the migration to um, digital, is it different from uh, radio? I've heard that uh, radio is much more complicated than TV in terms of digital migration. Hans Vernamatai, how's the process different from radio and TV when it comes to this migration? Um, Benjamin, in terms of radio, um, we have not actually started looking at, at a, a digital migration yet. Mm. Um, also due to the fact, I think, that internationally um, uh, the radio migration lags quite a bit behind the uh, TV migration. Mm. But especially in our country, radio is a very important medium um, due to the lack of communication, especially in the rural areas, um, many people actually use radio as their primary means of communication. Mm. And in Namibia, we actually have, um, well, the Namibian Broadcasting Corporation actually has uh, 10 language services because we have very many language groups um, in our country. Uh, so any migration um, um, on the radio side will be a lot more complicated. Um, so we we have not actually looked at that aspect. And um, with radio also, we must remember that uh, many people have very um, simple, cheap radio receivers, and a migration to a digital will have a significant um cost impact on, on the normal radio listener. Mm. So uh, personally, I cannot see us migrating radio in the near future. Um, we, uh, um, as, as we've said, the, the challenges on the TV side are quite significant, mm. and I expect the challenges on, on the radio side um, will possibly be even even greater yeah. to, to to achieve the same type of coverage as we have with analog at the moment. Um, to achieve the same coverage with digital radio. Mm. So that's why I'm, I'm I'm hoping that we can first get the TV migration behind us uh, before we can even start thinking about radio. Mm. James, is it the same uh, issue that uh, Hans Wernermata is highlighting uh, in Kenya that, hey, uh, it's t- we're just focusing right now at this particular time on uh, the television side and on the radio, we're just holding the process there. Is the same process taking place in Kenya? Um, um, well, 
Benjamin, you could say it's uh, probably the same. I mean, mm. I think um, the, from the onset, I think the challenge was the limited uh, amount of uh, frequencies available for TV broadcasting. And that's where uh, the digital migration issue came up for a more efficient usage of that spectrum by going digital. And I really think it happened, uh, democratizing that space, allowing more people, players, to come in. Um, with radio, we really haven't had the same sort of constraints in terms of um, frequencies, in terms of, uh, I guess, the number of players who could be there. So just like Namibia, you find here that, you know, we have several language stations, regional stations, you know, community radio. And these are uh, receivable on... Um, Every imaginable sort of uh, device, from uh, cell phones to, uh, you know, pocket radios and all that. So really, um, it's on the radio side, there hasn't been that sort of push uh, to, you know, reform that space um, as there have been in a TV where you could only have maybe a few players in there and they're essentially forming uh, a cartel-like environment where nobody else could come in. Mm. So uh, right now, I think what even the ITU, the International Telecommunications Union, has been focusing on is a more efficient usage of the TV uh, spectrum, that band that is dedicated to uh, TV um, uh, telecommunication. Mm. Staying with you, James, looking at this issue of uh, uh, maybe the area of regulation, I want to move on to that area. Were there any guidelines on uh, regulation, on how to create business models that could underpin uh, public interest purposes that were highlighted by the ITU? Is there any guideline uh, that's uh, given to countries on how to deal with that? Um. Well, uh, I, I can't be too sure if they give any uh, mm. business model uh, deadlines. Um, what they would do is they would hold these regional conferences in Vienna and take up a position as far as the standards that should be um, adopted uh, when it came to digital video uh, broadcasting. And mm. um, uh, what essentially each country would do is then adopt those um, for their own country and uh, their own business environment and uh, their own, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, space. Uh, and really the, the only areas of cooperation that um, had to take place was where neighboring countries, say Kenya and Ghana, Tanzania, uh, you could try and harmonize mm-hmm. the sort of standards you set so for inter- integration, for better integration uh, going into the future. Uh, but locally, I think uh, homegrown solutions, um, uh, that's why, for example, in Kenya, if you take the case of Kenya, we have we decided to have um, two uh, broadcast signal distributors, and then we licensed anybody who, who wanted to uh, bring in uh, decoders, they could bring them in and uh, we know, have them approved and uh, sell them. And um, it could be the free to air or it could be pay TV, whichever one uh, chose. And um, you compare that to, say, South Africa. Uh, where they are still yet to settle on whether to have um, encrypted decoders as, mm-hmm. uh, as um, PTV wants or to have non-encrypted, I guess, like DC multi-chains on. Um, that is country-specific. So for here, um, I think we have already established the sort of models that we will have.
Hans isn't it a free for all then if this issue of the migration process is not really regulated and there isn't some stricter uh, protocols to follow? James, I was just referring to Hans Werner Matar. I'll come back to, to you there. Uh, but uh, your, your views, uh, Hans Werner, what are your views there? Um, as far as the, the guidelines and, and so on are concerned, mm. um, we've actually been developing um, our own guidelines okay. as, uh, as we went along, and we've had very good cooperation, as I mentioned earlier, with the, um, with the respective ministry and, the, um, and our regulator. Mm. So um, we did not have too many guidelines, um, so we had a fairly free hand when it came to, to developing our, our models and um, how to go along. So that has possibly made our, our process um, a lot easier than in many other countries where there have been conflicts. So from my perspective, um, we've, we've not really had any prob- problems. It was obviously a, a challenge mm. uh, being a new technology and um, being, um, not having um, any precedent, um, anybody to really look to for solutions and, and answers. Um, we had to develop... Um, our, our own solutions as uh, as we went along. So mistakes have obviously been made, but I think we learned very quickly, and um, and that's why I can say that that uh, things have actually gone quite well. Mm. James, uh, I interrupted you there before I was uh, enabling Hans Werner to um, answer that particular question, but you wanted to elaborate. Um, yes, uh, yes. I was actually asking. Uh, I, I wanted to know exactly um, what you meant by um, lack of regulation in the um, digital migration. In terms of uh, ordinary government policy and also international standards that could be set by the ITU, in order as a guideline on where do you source these uh, uh, particular uh, decoders and also what are uh, the mainframe issues in terms of uh, how do you deal with the Transition in itself. I'm sure uh, they were supposed to uh, provide some form of guideline or assistance in in that regard, James. Um, yes. Well, the, um, once the standards have been provided, and you know uh, what sort of uh, spectrum space you're playing in, um, uh, it it was incumbent on um, uh, the regulator and um, the Ministry of Information to. Uh, sort of now come up with those uh, guidelines telling uh, how um, the migration is going to take place. Uh, that is uh, how um, content will be distributed, how it will be received, uh, and basically, and what sort of uh, business models uh, will be, you know, accommodated around that. And uh, we have had a team in place uh, involving media owners, uh, broadcasters, signal distributors, the ministry, um, forming one technical team Mm. that has actually been issuing these guidelines for the safe migration 
Um, so they're the ones who say, you know, we have to come up with a licensing scheme for uh, BA broadcast signal distributors. We have to come up with a, um, a standard for mm-hmm. set-top boxes. And also, even the, the regulator actually came up with um, the amount or rather the, the fees mm-hmm. that the digital signal distributors should charge um, broadcasters who wish to transmit uh, on their platform. So, uh, I mean, quite, quite a few of those guidelines have been in place. Um, it's just that um, uh, it's taken quite a while because, like I said, there's been a lot of resistance and um, some of these issues have not gotten out in public because, you know, the forums through which they're supposed mm. to be communicated to the public have not been available um, just because, you know, the media owners who occupy that space, perhaps that is not a message they feel they'd want to have out there because it goes against their business interests. Mm. But the, the guidelines have all been there. And um, uh, I think we would have been a pretty um, smooth transition I did not for being before litigation. Yeah. Well, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, I want to take it back to us ordinary citizens, the people who watch television. And uh, also, how do we move forward from this point now? And in terms of assistance to other countries, countries like Namibia seems to be doing well. Can they help other countries such as South Africa and neighboring countries to actually push forward this uh, migration process? There's so many questions to ask. But hey, we're going to come back to me and you and why should we buy into this digital new uh, agenda? Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be back. Time right now is 11.36 Central African time. The year 2014 represents a historic milestone of 20 years of freedom and democracy in our country. An occasion to reflect on what has been achieved over the past 20 years working together. We enjoy freedom of movement and of association, the right to own property, the right not to be detained without trial, freedom of expression and freedom of the press, religious freedom and freedom of sexual orientation. Women have equal rights before the law, which did not exist before 1994. Workers have 20 years of enjoying rights, including trade union, workplace organizing, collective bargaining, equal pay for equal work, health and safety, affirmative action, skills development, minimum wages for workers in vulnerable sectors, the right to strike and the right to peaceful protests. South Africa is a successful story. South Africa is a good story. 
Well, not when it comes to digital migration. South Africa is behind. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is uh, Benjamin Moshatama. You're listening to uh, African Dialogue, and today we're speaking about the uh, change to uh, analog to digital uh, broadcasting and uh, very interesting views that we're getting from our guests. But uh, uh, Hans Vernamata, in terms of moving forward as a country now, now that uh, things seem to be in a good pace in Namibia. What can we expect from here uh, with this particular process in your country? Yeah, we. Um, I think our next challenge will probably be to add content. Um, mm. As I mentioned earlier, um, for the past almost 30 years, we've only had one analog channel in this country, one, one official um channel from the uh, national broadcaster. Mm. Um, now we have the potential of adding many more channels, uh, well over 10 channels. I think we've lost someone on the line there. I think it is okay, James. So uh, I think we lost James there, but you can c- carry on, sir. Yeah. Um, we we have the potential now to, to add many more channels onto our digital multiplex. Mm. And this um, will be, uh, I think, our biggest channel in the near, uh, our biggest challenge in the near future is is to find the necessary content, uh, because content obviously costs money. Mm. But on the other hand, you need good content to attract the viewers. So um, we need to focus once once we've got the the rollout of transmitters done and we've got um, a sufficient number of decoders um, sold to the public, we need to focus uh, very much on the aspect of content. Um, Sure. Yeah, Hans Werner, it's also interesting. As much as it cost uh, the government a lot of investment in in terms of this uh, uh, migration, it's also going to cost the consumer. And um, the consumer could be asking, what is it in for me, uh, this particular process? What do I get out of this? And how do we convince them to actually buy into this uh, particular new uh, development? Um, uh, yes, this, this was a focal point of our publicity campaign as well, um, is to, um, to, to make it attractive for the viewers to add... Um, um, or to buy the uh, decoder. Um, first of all, we emphasize the the digital quality of of the transmissions. Uh, we um, focus on the features that the decoder has. Um, it obviously has um, the feature where you can actually record programs. You can play them back later. You can delay the playback. Um, you can even play um, on our particular decoders. You can. Um, play uh, JPEG files, MP3 files. So the decoder itself has many features which were previously not available with the um, analog transmissions. Uh, Then uh, we have all the radio channels, uh, all our 10 radio channels we have on on this decoder Mm -hmm. in digital quality. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we focus on the quality. Then obviously very important, um, as I mentioned before, we we are adding... uh, uh, more channels. Uh, in total, we have now 
um, seven channels available on on our digital marketplace, mm-hmm. uh, um, as opposed to the previous only one channel. So these these factors. Um, we make our selling point uh, for for the decoders, and and in the beginning the uptake has been quite slow, but but I'm pleased to say um, we're we're selling decoders at a much faster pace now, uh, and especially since we started switching off um, our first analog transmitter here in the capital city of Vintuk, yeah. which covers a very large percentage of of the country's population. Um, uh, our, selling, uh, our decoders have actually sold uh, very fast now. So, mm. um, so I mean, this the sense uh, we uh, the public has actually been uh, very positive mm. um, to this whole thing. We, we we haven't actually had had much resistance. There are obviously challenges. Being a new technology, we find that um, that many people don't have uh, proper uh, proper terrestrial antennas. Mm. Um, for to 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 receive a good signal, and um, some people still have a a problem to connect it. Even even though our decoders are very easy to connect, they're basically plug and play. Uh, one additional challenge we have is that uh, the sale of decoders in Namibia specifically is linked to the possession of a TV license. Mm. Um, so many people have for. For a number of years, not actually bought a TV license, and now they find out they have to buy the TV license yeah. before they can actually buy, buy the decoder, and and that has been a bit of a challenge. But we are we're managing that one as well. Well, I think that's how we can wrap it up, and I think you gave us some of those pointers of how it affects us ordinary Africans. Thank you to Hans Werner Matai, who is the project manager at the Namibia Broadcasting Corporation. Wanted to come back to James Mbugua, but I have to carry on and move on with the program because we've run out of time. But thank you to James Bugua, who is the communication consultant based in Nairobi, Kenya. Thank you both for joining us on the program. Thank you. The time right now is 11.45 or a few seconds before then. Let's move on to our economics update with Sanima Tebula standing by. Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. Libya's oil production is now at more than 400,000 barrels per day. Libya's crude output has been battered by fighting between two rival governments battling for control of the North African country. Production is well below the 1.6 million barrels per day levels before the 2011 civil war that ousted Muammar Gaddafi. Egypt's central bank has sold $420 million in the interbank market. The bank says the sale was made to meet outstanding demand for staple commodities, raw materials and pharmaceuticals. Central bank governor Hisham Ramez says the bank will continue to use the interbank market in the coming period alongside regular dollar auctions. The central bank typically holds dollar auctions of $40 million every Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and on Thursday. Uganda's economic growth is set to accelerate to 5.3% in the fiscal 2014-2015, driven by infrastructure investment aimed at maximizing benefits from an expected oil boom. This according to outgoing Finance Minister Maria Kiwanika, 
speaking before she was moved in a cabinet reshuffle on Sunday to become presidential advisor on finance. Kiwanika's forecast was the government's first growth estimate for the fiscal year ending in June after Uganda rebased its gross domestic product in November last year. And the General Secretary of South Africa's largest trade federation, Zelinzi Mavavi, says he will not attend COSATU Central Executive Committee meeting today. He joins the ranks of seven COSATU affiliates that have vowed to continue to boycott CEC meetings until one of the union's NUMSA's expulsion from the federation is unconditionally reserved. NUMSA was expelled last year after it refused to support the ruling ANC in May elections. Amos Pajo reports. Ravi posted on his Twitter as well as Facebook pages that he will not join today's CEC meeting, saying he does not believe that going ahead with the gathering while half of the affiliates are refusing to attend is the best way to unify the federation. Ravi says he will instead join court proceedings in Pretoria in solidarity with mine workers who were abandoned by Aurora bosses years ago. Without the seven affiliates, Vavi, whose own disciplinary case is pending, doesn't have support and will not be able to challenge any issues raised in the CEC. Amongst issues on the agenda is acceptance application by the newly formed Metal Workers Union, Limusa, headed by former NUMSA President Cedric Gina. Amos Power, SABC News, Johannesburg. And Kenya Centrum Investment is working on uh, selling its stakes in several firms to fund new investments in power plants. Lawyer James Moria says the company whose market value has jumped sevenfold over the last five years to $438 million is now targeting new investments that will maintain growth momentum. Dumelo Zulu has the details. Moria did not mention what the sales were, adding that such tractions could take 18 months to complete. The firm has also branched out into power generation with a 20-megawatt geothermal plant due to start production this year and a 1,000-megawatt coal-fired plant due to be completed in three years. Before Moria took over as chief executive five years ago, Centum focused on a coated equity and fast-moving consumer goods. Financial indicators say the dollar trading at 11.64 to the South African rand and 9.47 Botswana Pula and at 6.85 against the Zambian Kwacha. It's also at 0.64 to the British pound and 0.88 against the euro. We move on now to commodities, uh, starting with gold trading at $1,221, platinum $1,187 a fine ounce. Brent crude oil has gone up now to $62.17 per barrel. That's how it's looking this hour. It's 10 to 12 for Central African time. Let's get our sports from Musibudi Makura. Good day, sports fans. Starting off with athletics news. Team Nigeria is doubtful for the Junior Athletics Championship in Ethiopia to defend the title they won two years ago in Mauritius due to financial constraints. The 2015 edition of the African Junior Athletics Championship will hold in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia from the 3rd to the 7th of March. The Athletics Federation of Nigeria conducted its final trials for 35 athletes at the Shanguma 
camp last week Thursday where five junior athletes were dropped. The Federation was not satisfied with their performance during the trials. But a dark cloud seems to be surrounding the hopes and aspirations of the remaining 30 athletes due to lack of money likely to stop their trip to Addis Ababa. Team Nigeria is expected to jet out of Addis Ababa later today, but the Federation's officials are considering giving up their search for a sponsor. On to football news, surprise Moriri scored in both halves to guide Mamelodi Sundowns to a comfortable 3-0 win over St. Michal in their CAF Champions League preliminary round clash in Attridgeville on Saturday night. Sundowns won 4-1 on aggregate after their first leg meeting ended in a 1-0 draw in the Seychelles two weeks ago. Sundowns will now face TP Mazembe in their next round. Coach Bito Musimane says it's going to be important for the team to overcome a tough TP Mazembe side. Well, it's not a dream fixture for us. It's, a, it's an important fixture. We, we, we think we should think beyond that. We should copy Orlando Pirates. We should admire what they've done. We should take it from them and say we can make it also. But at the end of the day, Pirates went through, irrespective. So, yeah, we need to be ready for everything. We need to, to plan our trip properly. But we've already done our homework. We already know where we, where we stay. We already know when we're leaving. We already know how we, we're traveling. We know the pitch. We have put um, people already on them. They are watching us. Super Sport 9. That's the beauty of being international. Unfortunately, we can't see anything from them. Meanwhile, Kaza Chiefs also advanced to the first round of the CAF Champions League with a 3-1 aggregate win over Botswana's Township Rollers on Saturday. The Kaza Chiefs side went into the second leg clash at the National Stadium in Khabarone on Saturday with a 2-1 lead from the first leg at the FNB Stadium two weeks ago. Siabong Angosi handed the South Africans the victory. Still on local football news, Supersport United coach Gordon Egerstedt has lashed out at his players after they shocked defeat to Amazulu at the Lucas Moripe Stadium on Sunday afternoon. United's three-game winning streak, which notably included a 2-0 victory over long leaders Kaza Chiefs, was halted with a 5-2 loss to relegation-threatened Amazulu. It was only Amazulu's second victory in the leagues this season, with the Durban outfit still six points behind second from the bottom Platinum Stars in the long-standing. In the other match of the day, Bluefontein Celtic secured a 2-0 home win over Platinum Stars at the Free State Stadium. Now to cricket news, Pakistan got the World Cup campaign back on track when they defeated Zimbabwe by 20 runs on Sunday to claim their first win at the World Cup and so keep their campaign alive. Natalie Germanos found this report. Zimbabwe restricted Pakistan to 235 for seven at the Gabba in Brisbane. And you would have thought Zimbabwe would have been able to chase that down. They looked on track to be able to do that as well after Brendan Taylor made a 50 from 72 balls. There was also a good 35 down the order from Alton Chigumbura. 33 runs came from Sean Williams at a runner ball but they just were not able to get over the line. They could only manage 215 all-out in 49.4 overs, with Mohamed Irfan taking 4 for 30 and 10, and Wahab Riaz, the man of the match, taking 4 for 45 in 9.4 overs to add to the half-century that he made and more than run a ball in the first innings. Pakistan got a victory by 20 runs and their first points on the board for the tournament. In the other match of the day, Sri Lanka thrashed England by 9 wickets and with 16 balls to spare. 
easily chasing down 310 after Joe Root for England had made 121 off 108 balls. But he was outshined by Lahara Tanamani and Kumar Sangakara. Sangakara made an undefeated 117 off 86 balls, while Tirumani made an undefeated 139 from 143. Following golf news, Englishman Andy Sullivan has won the Joburg Open by two shots from five players on two under par, including fellow Englishman David Howell and Anthony Wall. Michael Flissmas reports. Andy Sullivan continued his love affair with Johannesburg when he won the Joburg Open by two strokes at Royal Johannesburg and Kensington Golf Club on Sunday. Sullivan won January South African Open at Glendower Golf Club and eight weeks later claimed his second European Tour title with a final round of 66 for a total of 17 under par. Sullivan also qualified for the Open Championship in St Andrews later this year. South Africa's Vali Kutsia and Yaku van Sale joined England's David Howell and Anthony Wall and Ireland's Kevin Phelan in second place. Michael Flismas, Johannesburg. Those are your sports news at the hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap up the program today. Thank you for joining African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can join us by streaming us live on www.channelafrica.org. That's our website. It's actually, you know, we'll direct you to our other site. So just go to www.channelafrica.co.za if you want to go to the direct site. But also, you can interact with us on Facebook. We have a Channel Africa page or tweet us at channel africa one or sms us your views we want to hear from you so do let us know what you think of our programming by smsing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five coming up tomorrow we'll be looking at uh, the elections in lesotho the outcome and also see what's going to happen moving forward in that particular country let's wrap up with the proverb of the day as well Uh, the proverb of today is a bantu proverb and i love this one it states that the road doesn't tell the traveler what lies ahead the road doesn't tell the traveler what lies ahead. So you better take the right road, the right direction. From me, Benjamin Mushatama, until tomorrow, God bless.